Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Well, so several years ago, uh, before the pandemic, so whatever that was, BP, <laughs> I traveled to uh, Italy and to, to Greece to see some of the sites, but mostly I was there uh, on a, an educational trip to travel and see a, a lot of the places where the Apostle Paul uh, did missionary work, which we'll, we'll talk about later on when we get to the part of Acts where, where Paul is uh, kind of the, the main actor, if you will. Uh, But the point of telling you that today is that while I was in Italy, particularly, I got to see some really magnificent structures called cathedrals, some really wonderful places where people have have worshiped God throughout throughout centuries and and for some throughout um, thousands of years. And none of those cathedrals that I got to walk into was quite as impressive as the Vatican itself. Has anyone ever been? To, yeah, yeah. It's it's incredibly, incredibly well decorated, right? <laughs> it, it, it serves as the the center of the Catholic religious world. Uh, so the Vatican is like the height, the the pinnacle of religious experience if you are a practicing Catholic. And what I saw when I was there was people from all over the world just weeping and praying at all over the place while I was just walking through and, and taking in all the sights. Now, I, I wasn't affected in that way, but I'm, I'm not Catholic, so, you know, forgive me, if you will. But uh, I was thoroughly impressed by a lot of the things that I saw there. But mostly what I was impressed by was the beauty of it all the ornateness of the architecture and the art and really just the overall size of this place. But what the Vatican symbolizes is the authority of the Catholic Church. Like years of our knowledge and our history are sealed up inside of that place. And the highest human authority, if you're Catholic, the Pope, lives there, and, and basically the Vatican determines the religious tone of the entire Catholic denomination. The Vatican sets the boundaries around what can and what cannot happen, what is or is not acceptable for Catholics all over the world, and particularly how Catholic clergy persons are allowed to perform the rights and the responsibilities of their ministry. Now, as United Methodists in Florida, we have our own uh, miniature version of this. It's a place called Lakeland, Florida. You may have heard of it, the home of Publix, and likely where the pub sub was invented. 
But each year, uh, United Methodists gather at this thing called Annual Conference in Lakeland at, at a, a college that was founded by the United Methodist Church called Florida Southern College. And there is the largest collection in the world of Frank Lloyd Wright architecture. So, you know, like, we're important too, is all I have to say. You know, we've got some nice art as well. It's not quite as nice as the Vatican, but, you know, we're not even trying to compete with them, so it's fine. But regardless, what, what struck me the most about being at the Vatican was that there were a lot of rules, particularly about what you could or could not wear inside. Absolutely no shoulders showing. And so they had this whole little economy going right outside the door where if you wore the wrong shirt and you've got shoulders showing, they will gladly sell you a shawl that you can wear over your shoulders so that you can go in and experience the Vatican. And I tell you all of this because while that might seem silly, the, the Vatican, and I'm sure central religious centers like it for religions all over the world, have a particular set of guidelines that cover a wide range of topics, like the proper way to dress and the proper way to conduct yourself. I mean, we even have it within our church culture here. It just kind of goes more or less unspoken. But this was no different in the temple in Jerusalem, way back in, in the days of Jesus and the apostles. In fact, the temple actually had become a place with uh, a lot of rules and regulations, some of them laid out in the biblical law and some of them that just developed over a period of 1,000 years of temple worship. And that temple is going to be the focus of our time together today. You see, for many, many, many years, a thousand years, the temple was the vessel that contained the activity, the fire, so to say, of the God of Israel. And the people who ran the temple, they really liked it that way because it meant that they were the gatekeepers for people who were trying to access the presence of God. People traveled from all over the world to experience God, much like they do today with the Vatican. And this worked for a very, very long time. For longer than our human minds can really wrap ourselves around, right? A thousand years. That's like four American histories. Okay? That's a long time. But something happened at the cross. And then something further happened on the day of Pentecost that would turn this thousand-year-old tradition on its head. You see, when Jesus died, the, the veil, this piece of cloth that surrounded the Holy of Holies, which was the center of the temple where God's presence dwelled, that veil that separated God's presence from the rest of God's people, from the rest of God's world, was torn in half. And then at Pentecost, the Spirit of God, the, the very presence of God that dwells within 
us. The, the very indwelling being of the God of Israel was poured out into the hearts of believers everywhere, not just in the temple. We're continuing in our series through the book of Acts called How to Start a Fire. And what we're looking at specifically as we do this are the elements that were present that allowed the early church to spread like a wildfire. And today we're, we're going to look at the temple because we're going to see how the temple acted as the vessel that carried the fire, the presence of of God for so many years. Now, if you've ever built a fire responsibly, responsibly being the, uh, the operative word here, if you've ever built a fire responsibly, then you built it inside of something that was made to contain it, right? A fireplace, uh, a stone-lined fire pit, a burn barrel, or just, you know, like an inverted car tire. Not tire, but the wheel, right? Depends on what part of the country you're from. You might have been a tire, and then you learned a very, very valuable lesson. <laughs> the key is that the vessel that you built your fire inside of had to do one thing, not catch on fire, right? And by not catching on fire, the vessel would hopefully contain your fire so that it would be something you could roast marshmallows on and not something that you would roast an entire continent with. So the vessel is important if you're playing with real fire. But we aren't talking about playing it safe with our metaphorical fire here. So today's element, the vessel, is something that we are trying and seeking to break out of. Because we want our fire to spread. Because wildfires spread. Wildfires change the world around them. And so as we look to Acts as the guide for how our fire here could not only start, but we also are looking to Acts to see how the fire within First Church can spread outward from us and into our world around us. So we'll continue reading through the book of Acts. But remember last week, uh, I, was, I was talking about how the religious elites, they're getting a bit uh, restless around the teachings and the practices of the apostles. They don't like what's happening. But what we're about to find out is that it doesn't matter if they like it or not. They're not really going to be able to stop it. And so this is... Uh, going to start here in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Now many signs and wonders were done among and through the apostles. The apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. And so a great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. 
Okay, so here's the deal. To this Jewish audience, the temple represents the place where God's power to heal is located. And so Peter and the apostles are, are there and they are meeting with people who are in need uh, of healing right on the front porch of the temple. Solomon's portico was like the entryway into the joint. And, and so they're like, listen, you don't even need to go inside of there. Like, we could take care of you right out here, right on the front porch. You're welcome to go in, but you don't have to. Like, let's do this thing right here. And then they move even farther out from the temple, and they begin wielding the power of God in the streets of Jerusalem, the, the dirty, dusty streets. And the people are just amazed at what they are seeing, and they're, they're convinced that they need to start following these men and join this new Jesus community. And so my question for you is, how well do you think that went over with the religious authorities? Not very well, about as well as a lead balloon, right? So check this out. This is, this is the response to what's happening. Then the high priest took action. He and all who were with him, that is the sect of the Sadducees, being filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. So listen, there's, there's one thing that you need to really understand, and it's, it's that our Bibles talk a lot about Jewish folks who opposed Jesus and the apostles. But they don't represent everybody, right? Judaism was a very diverse uh, religion, just as it still is today and as Christianity is today. But these people who oppose Jesus and the apostles, they are the people who have all the power. They are people from two specific sects or versions of the Jewish faith, people called Pharisees and Sadducees. And they had differing beliefs on, on a lot of things, but they met in the middle on quite a few as well. But what's really important to understand is that Pharisees were kind of like the lawyers of their day. They were deeply connected to the rules and the regulations of religious life for Jewish people. And the Sadducees were very practical and reasonable people, known for not believing in crazy things like miracles, not believing in things like the resurrection of the dead. And so the apostles are doing all kinds of things that are beyond the boundaries in the eyes of the Pharisees. They're, they're claiming to wield the power and presence of God in places that were not fit for the holiness of God to be. Out in the dirty, dirty streets of town and inside the dirty, dirty hearts of human beings. And the Sadducees are pretty upset because these guys are supposedly performing miracles and proclaiming the resurrection of a man from the dead. Come on now. Why would you fill these people's heads with lies and false hope? And so the apostles are arrested and jailed again. But as you may have learned last week and as we'll continue to learn over and over and over 
Man-made jails won't slow down this fire that has begun to rage. The religious elite are hoping to contain this wildfire like the National Guard does out in California every year, but it refuses to be contained. So, let's read on. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people the whole message about this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. When the high priest and those with him arrived, they called the, together the council and the whole body of the elders of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the temple police went there, they did not find them in the prison. And so they returned and they reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were perplexed about them, wondering what might be going on. Then someone arrived and announced, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the temple police and brought them, but without violence, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So once again, the apostles are not only rescued, but are emboldened in their mission by the power of God. They're, they're moved from prison, like the, the lowest of the low places in society, to the temple, the highest place in society. And this happens to open the eyes of the temple elite to the fact that this God that they have been trying to contain within their building of stone and mortar just might be operating above their pay grade. And actually, that's what begins to happen. And so the, the story goes on. It says, When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. That's the name of Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So Peter is once again confronted and sticking to his guns. Focus on these words. We must obey God rather than any human authority. Peter is saying, like, listen, I understand your problem with Jesus and our movement. I'm Jewish. I was raised on the traditions and the beliefs. I understand the temple theology that you hold. But what I have, what I have experienced, Experienced and seen is the movement of God in a profound and undeniable way. 
What we together have seen is an authority above our traditions and above our rules. What, what we have seen, friends, what we have seen is the face of the living God. And that God has called us to a new life of spreading the message of repentance and forgiveness of sin. Peter is saying the time has come to let the fire burn and spread. It's time to empty out this old dead vessel. We've waited for our entire history, thousands of years for this moment, and we cannot, we refuse to let it pass by. The response to this begins harshly, but it turns around. It says, when they heard this, they were enraged and they wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. He's like, Take the children out. The grown-ups need to talk, right? And then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up, claiming to be somebody. In a number of men, about 400 joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. And then even after him, Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, why don't you keep away from these men and let them alone? Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And in that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him, and when they had called in the apostles, they just had them flogged and then ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. This is where we close out the story for today, but essentially this man, Gamaliel, he's not a believer. But he says to his friends, like, listen, settle down, <laughs> Right? Why don't we just see how this plays out? There's no need to choose violence today. Everyone who rises up against the establishment fails. If these folks aren't of God, if their mission is not from God, let's trust God to deal with them. But if they are a God of God, that we don't want to be the ones who are found to be in opposition to God, do we? It's not a good look. So let's just let it happen and let's see.
And this is like an incredible turn of events, one that won't really stick broadly as we'll find out as we continue on. But the person of Gamaliel teaches us about how we should deal with our own reluctancy when the Spirit of God begins to move. Because it, it, it's really easy for us to get locked into, into processes and traditions and, and rules of order that we hold dear. It's easy for us to try to contain the fire that's raging within our modern day temple, right? Within the four walls of our churches. But what we have to realize is that the fire doesn't actually dwell in temples anymore. The fire dwells inside the heart of each and every one of us who leaves this place and goes out to be in mission and ministry to the world. And in case you've forgotten, that's not just people like me who have had a bishop place hands on them. Each and every one of you is ordained to ministry through the water of your baptism. What Gamaliel teaches us is to let go of the reins of our water cannons that we so often point at and try to squelch the work of the Spirit and to just let the Spirit lead us into crazy, big, risky ministry. And to know that if that ministry is not God's will, if it's not of God, then God will deal with that. It will fizzle out. But if it is of God, Oh, Lord, will it burn. And you do not want to be the person who stood in opposition to it. See, what Peter and the apostles teach us is that the temple is now mobile. The fire has broken free from its original vessels and has been planted in each and every one of us new vessels, but not for the purpose of containing it, but for the purpose of taking it out of this place and out there into the world to start a wildfire that engulfs our entire community. We are not called to constrain this thing, but to unleash it without fear and without a deep desire to hold on to the established order. You see, the vessel is you. The vessel is me. And the vessel is called to be unleashed. And so how will you be a part of the work that spreads this fire? Will you be the one who is opposed to the movement of God or will you be an active participant in starting a fire that illuminates and heals hearts of this community in the name of Jesus? How will you harness the power that you've been given to not just start a fire but to unleash it on the world around you?
Let's pray. Good and gracious one, we thank you for the ways that you continue to show us your will for us in ministry and continue to show us how you would have us live our lives in a way that glorifies you and makes your name known and makes your name great. We thank you that you would choose to come and dwell here on earth with us in the person of Jesus, that you would come to choose and dwell in and among us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so God, help us to harness, to acknowledge, and to unleash the power of the Spirit of God within us. Help us to show this world just how loving how merciful, and how deep your grace truly is. We love you, and it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.